and welcome to the Dairy Dialogue podcast, this being number 114, and it's the last one for 2020. The craziest year since, well, I don't really think we've had a year like this in my lifetime. But we'll ignore lockdowns for just under an hour as we bring you the latest interviews related to the dairy industry. I'm Jim Cornall, editor of Dairy Reporter, and this week we're talking about using side streams to make money and prevent waste, a new study on packaging safety, and lactase. And there's also something I have to get off my chest. I don't normally complain, or maybe I do and I just don't notice, but last week, which was still around 10 days left before Christmas, I got my first press release about a new product for Valentine's Day. I won't name names, but come on, that means before New Year I'll be getting Easter ice cream launches. Anyway, mini rant over. Well, other than another press release that I got this week that was dated May 2021. One of the things that makes presenting a global podcast a bit challenging, but also something that I really like, is that when it's winter here, listeners in Australia are in the summer. And of course, there are some countries where this time of year isn't a celebration. But I do hope if you're in a country celebrating Christmas that you're all ready, which usually means too many presents and buying too much food. Here in the UK, the holiday travel situation became a little crazier as the lockdown tightened and those people thinking they'd get a bit of winter sun in Spain or Italy or Greece are facing issues too because some parts of the world are closed to UK residents at the moment because of the new coronavirus strain. At least for a change, it has nothing to do with Brexit. It also looks like I'll have company as well for the first half of January as schools in Scotland are delaying reopening, and at first it's going to be remote learning. And I'm not sure if by remote learning they mean we have to go and live on a remote island for a while, although that wouldn't be too bad as long as they have internet and grocery deliveries and some good paths to walk on and satellite TV for sport and some shops as well. But I digress, as usual. I should tell you what's on the show this week. We chatted with Ben Rutten, Global Business Manager for Milk at DSM, Dr. Aphrodite Hajifragu, Lecturer in Food Processing at the Department of Food and Nutritional Sciences at the University of Reading in the UK, and Giselle Guajel, Tetra Pak Business Insights and Analytics Director. Before we get to this week's news, which usually has dried up by this time in December, but it hasn't this year, next week we're not in the office, which maybe means that as I work from home, I'm not allowed into the bedroom that's converted into an office. But in case you're in need of something to read next week, we will have two special newsletters, one on the most read articles on Dairy Reporter in 2020, and also the most shared on social media. And while there are a few surprises, you won't be shocked at what the main subject was. But there were some interesting ones in 2020 that didn't make the top 10, or even 20, that I did want to share with you. One of the top stories was about some fake news in India that ice cream was connected to coronavirus, which I thought was quite strange. But another of my favourites this year was a list of 12 bizarre ice cream flavours in Lithuania. And if things couldn't get even more strange, there was an Alice Cooper chocolate milk launched in Arizona. And I got lots of questions and emails about where to buy it. Strangely, here in Scotland, we have some snowplows and gritters named after musicians, and some other stars as well, 
for instance, we have Melton John and Spready Mercury. We also have Britney Spears and David Plowey. Anyway, I'll leave that there and get to the news over the past seven days that you may have missed while trying to find a bottle of Alice Cooper chocolate milk to give as a Christmas gift for the fan who has almost everything. CP Kelco launched a new pectin to simplify fruited drinking yogurt production. Kerry Taste and Nutrition came out with its festive beverage market top trends for 2020. And Flavor Chem released its 2021 trend and flavor forecast. And we have an interview on that for the first podcast of 2021. Cold Snap, a machine similar to a Keurig or an espresso but for ice cream, was launched for businesses. And the 2020-2021 Danone North America Gut Microbiome Yogurt and Probiotics Fellowship Grant was opened for applications. Nestle launched a milk product in China to support mobility during aging. Food Union had a good 2020 for sales. Turtle Tree Labs raised $6.2 million for its cell-based milk technology. And Lactalie Canada is buying AgroPoor's Canadian yogurt business. The ACCC in Australia has given the green light for the Queensland Fair Go Dairy Scheme. A study has found a milk-derived ingredient is effective against the influenza virus. And in the Netherlands, the Campina brand is now completely produced using green electricity generated by farmers. Swiss dairy company Emmy is selling its Spanish goat cheese company. And in Sweden, Arcaroma extended its whey protein evaluation period with a Swedish dairy company. You can read these and a whole lot more at dairyreporter.com. All right, let's get to the interview, shall we? First this week, Royal DSM, a global science-based company active in nutrition, health and sustainable living and headquartered in the Netherlands, has launched its new Maxilact Super Lactase Enzyme. To tell us more is Ben Rotten, Global Business Manager for Milk at DSM. I wonder if we could start with the drivers behind the Maxilact Super launch? Yes, of course. Uh, well, actually, there's a, a couple of drivers behind the, the launch. First of all, uh, more and more people are incorporating uh, lactose-free dairy products in, in their diets, uh, driving the demand. This is driven by uh, lactose intolerance, which is prevalent around the world, but also by the perceived health benefits. Uh, and our research shows that three out of five people see lactose-free dairy products as, as more healthy than regular dairy. Next to that, a continued trend in sugar reduction. It's an important trend. Our surveys show that 71% of the respondents are looking to reduce their sugar intake. And uh, this trend is present in, in dairy and also in lactose-free dairy, of course. We've observed that uh, consumers are looking for authenticity claims and positioning such as organic. And this is also present in the lactose-free space. And it offers a, an opportunity for differentiation. Finally, uh, good taste, it, it remains key, it remains a key driver. And all of this uh, combined with the uh, with drive for, for more efficiency and, uh, and need to decomplex operations that has basically led us to develop a Maxilact Super, our new enzyme. And what's the scope of growth and opportunities and maybe even challenges in the lactose-free space? And how does your company tap into those? With regards to the trend for lactose-free dairy, uh, we see no signs of, of slowing down. It, it continues to offer manufacturers uh, attractive uh, growth opportunities. The lactose-free dairy space is uh, still expected to grow more than double than, than regular dairy, roughly uh, 6.5%. And how do we tap into that? Well, supported by our deep understanding of the consumer and, and customer needs. Maxilac Super um, can really help producers to create lactose-free and, and sugar-reduced uh, products. 
And when we look at our, let's say, broader range of tools in the dairy industry, we can really help our consumers to create those uh, differentiated solutions. And, and we will keep on building on, uh, on that. And what makes Maxilact super unique compared to the rest of the range? Uh, Maxilact Super is a, is a highly efficient enzyme. Um, it, it delivers the, the health appeal, the authenticity and the sensory experience that customers uh, expect. It's also one of the purest solutions on the market. And at the same time, it, it's suitable for a broad variety of product positionings, from regular to organic to VLOG. And with using this enzyme, it allows brands or manufacturers to deal with one enzyme fulfilling all these needs. If we go a bit deeper, um, it is free from real sulfatase and infratase. Uh, guaranteeing uh, a clean taste and a high quality over the shelf life of the product. And of course, it, uh, it's also a tool to improve efficiency. Uh, it can reduce the hydrolysis time by 33% and as such uh, create bigger capacity without the often associated uh, investments for that. And could you explain how Maxilect Super supports sugar reduction in lactose-free dairy? Uh, yes, like the other lactases that we have in our, our portfolio, it, it, it supports to unlock the natural sweetness which is there in, in dairy products. Um, it break down, breaks down the lactose into glucose and, and galactose and as such it can deliver up to 20% sugar reduction. So it's part of the solutions for dairy manufacturers to create those, those often desired sugar reduced products for the dairy market. I guess that would help companies that are looking to not only reduce sugar for what consumers are asking for, but also any government guidelines that are reducing sugar. It depends, let's say, on the local legislations there. But uh, indeed, if you unlock the natural sweetness, which is uh, which is in the product, there there's less need to add sugar to it. And, and there's still a lot, uh, especially when we look globally, a lot of sugar added to dairy products. And how can DSM help your customers and companies looking to deliver lactose-free products? And what kind of products would this be suitable for? Maxlex Super is, is, is suitable for delivering a yogurt, a milk, cheese, a whey, milk powder and dessert. So a broad range of, of dairy products. Um, besides that, we have now over 50 years of experience in, in lactase and innovation, but also development of, of products with these lactases. And with our broader portfolio, we, we are ideally positioned to support manufacturers to develop these products. We're a one-stop shop uh, with a lot of uh, different uh, tools. Of course, the lactase enzymes, but also an extensive range of, of dairy cultures, probiotics, uh, sugar reduction solutions, uh, vitamins and minerals, and, and hydrocolloids. When we combine that with, with our uh, application teams and, and, and expertise, we can help our customers to build healthy, nutritious, good-tasting solutions, lactose-free solutions, which are authentic and also with great taste, of course, in the most economically and planet-friendly way. Now, are you a part of a dairy company that has a waste stream? If so, this one is for you. Food producers can now find other businesses to sell their food waste to, thanks to a scheme to help to reduce the binning of byproducts in the food industry. The EIT Food-funded digital marketplace for side streams will help companies find ways to upcycle waste from producing food products by connecting them to companies that can reuse them. There are several partners in the project, including companies, and one of the partners is the University of Reading in the UK. To tell us about the project is Dr. Aphrodite Hajifragu, lecturer in food processing at the Department of Food and Nutritional Sciences at the University of Reading. 
I, I guess the first one is really a bit of background. If you could tell me about the digital marketplace for side streams, how it was set up, who's involved. So the digital marketplace is a project that has been running for two years now. It comes to an end now in December. Uh, it is funded by EIT Food. And uh, we have a large area of companies around uh, Europe and the universities. So examples of companies are PepsiCo, Nestle, Puratos, DSM. Uh, we have a Technical University of Munich. We have obviously University of Reading uh, and many more other partners. I think the consortium is 13 partners altogether. Givadan, who is uh, leading the project. And the idea behind it is we wanted to bring together food manufacturers that they are producing a substantial amount of food waste within the practices and see whether we can do a matchmaking procedure by registering the inside stream into a digital platform as it is the digital marketplace, and then either identifying intermediate users of that stream, waste stream, that they will convert it to something valuable, or end users of those valuable components. So all this is being facilitated by a company in the consortium, which is called Rating Resource. It's based in Switzerland, and they are developing the digital interface so that we can merge all the databases that we have collected for the past few years together. And it has been, I think it's probably a month that it has been launched. So at the moment, partners and companies within EIT Food will have access, but it will be also soon available to everyone else around the world. And then how it works is that you have, as a company, that you produce a waste material, you register that material, and then you are coming up with different solutions, other matchmaking proposals, or you may have an, a layout that will suggest what sort of uses you will have based on this waste stream. Obviously, the, we talk about the dairy industry. Are there dairy products or dairy side products that would benefit from this program? So initially, within the project consortium, we didn't have necessarily a, a dairy company within. We had, of course, Nestle and to some extent, perhaps PepsiCo could be some end users of uh, milk powders or milk uh, dairy products, etc., we didn't really explore that side so because those companies were providing us side streams or they were end users of uh, components so they were much more interested in fiber components to develop on feng shui and other, and other materials. However, there is a scope and definitely what we want to achieve is to expand the database. And there is a crucial sector uh, within the UK but also across Europe. So there will be definitely a scope for every player that it is within the dairy sector to register a waste material, whether that would be a wastewater from a process or a, a powder that it is just simply out of spec, and they have quantities of that being generated through their processes so that they can identify which ways and which people to approach so that they can have higher added value products coming out of them. We are trying to minimize the low value or zero value routes such as land spreading and so on. So introduce ingredients back into the sector, in the food and drink sector. And to some extent, it could be beyond that towards pharmaceutical applications. So generally, proteins, for instance, could be something that could be very much a key component within the digital uh, marketplace stream. And how do companies find each other? Do they, do you, is it based on a search or does somebody do, do the matchmaking? Yes, so it is. it works both ways. So unfortunately, I cannot provide you more specific information because the user interface of the platform is still being developed. The way that it works is that you first register your interest, either by registering a site that you have as a company or saying that 
I am an end producer and I'm, I'm interested in fibers or proteins and I want to see which of the companies in the sector they are producing large quantities of a side stream that could contain proteins that I could actually use. Or you could be an intermediate company. So you could be an intermediate player who is just taking up waste streams and valorizing and then having end products. So it could work both ways. So the, uh, you will have the possibility as soon as you get into the platform to click on the options that you are most interested in. It is likely that this would be proportionally to the fees that you pay on the platform to have access. It would be an annual fee. But you can also, of course, expand the level of detailed information that you can get from the platform if you see that you need more detail or your strategic priorities have changed and you want another route to pursue. What are the benefits for, I mean, not necessarily dairy companies, what are the benefits for companies that join this platform? The idea behind it is, of course, not only in terms of the companies, but also in terms of uh, improving the environmental sustainability, so making sure that we have avenues of size and valorization. The idea is that within that sector and within that role, we have seen that we have individual companies or small companies that they have the know-how technology for specific aspects, but don't necessarily know each other. They could be in close proximity, they could be in probably a bit larger proximity, so you can have a company in the UK and we will be much made with a company around Europe, for instance, that they have a know-how and the technology that you couldn't possibly know before. So that brings up new success stories being developed and new routes that can be identified. So we want to bridge that gap between all key players around the sector that are creating revenue around valorization of waste streams in one way or another. And have you had any success stories from the project so far? It is a bit too early to tell, if I'm all honest, because the idea of matchmaking it is actually now starting getting materialized as we have the platform, which is being now available and slowly gaining momentum. So within the consortium and within the partners, we have identified key ingredients that partners probably didn't really appreciate how much of that particular component was in their side stream. So I think we are now in the point that we're starting having discussions around that matchmaking story and how we can better see better value and use of that side stream. So we, we are now in that moment, I would say, and it is true that within the next six to eight months, we will really see this picking up and then having ideally what we want to see, it's matchmaking success stories. You said that the project is ending. Is that the like in terms of the like a different phase? How how going forward? How is how will uh, it continue? Yes. So I mean, the project has been funded for the past two years from EIT Food. We cannot really apply as a consortium for another third round of funding. However, within the partners now, we are in discussions of finding other ways that we could probably work together or perhaps invite more companies into the consortium in another project that will be again on the same scope to ensure that we have much more wider representation of the food industry sector. So we are now in discussions about that. It will be probably something both. So we anticipate that we will start gaining momentum from companies that are registered the products and they will have this matchmaking process going on. But at the same time, if we want to explore something more specific within a specific sector of the food and drink industry, then we will probably pursue funding or small projects being self-funded so that we can get the database more enriched with this data. How, how are you getting in touch with companies in order to expand the database and to create more of this web of utilization? 
the primary idea is that we have, at the moment, we have, let's say, around 10 companies who have registered their side streams of the database. Uh, so those with the ones that we they are going to be there, uh, the partner, Rethink Resources, had already an existing database with some uh, small side streams also being there as well. So this is going to be getting enriched as we go along. We're going to start advertising uh, the, that possibility in that digital marketplace platform now that it is live within the next few months, hoping that we will get much more interest into and see whether they, the industry has a specific need in terms of specific side streams that they probably require a bit more attention and some small projects to be developed. So it will be through getting these into the public as it is now, and then we will see whether we're going to approach specific companies and see whether they would like to register their uh, side streams with uh, the platform. There's a business case around that as well, but there is a strategy to enhance and um, expand a bit the platform within the next six months. Now that we have something tangible that we can show to um, a prospect company that would like to take upon that opportunity. And is it open to companies now if there were a dairy yes. company? Yeah, yes, it's open now to companies. I can share the details of that uh, with you. It is open now to the public so that you can actually immediately register if you want. Um, I mean, the, the user interface is not ready yet, so you won't see the breadth of data that you would see. It It, it comes a bit, let's say, as a much more simplified way. But this is now the next target to ensure that from a user perspective, things are much more simple and clearly laid out so that you can have an intuitive system when you click on an option and then a new option opens up and then you have more possibilities depending on how deep you're going to be involved in this. So obviously it's something that will address things like food waste, sustainability. It's very important in that area. Yes, it will also address ways in which you can alter your side stream into an ingredient for an end user or to bring more revenue into your company. Uh, so we need also, we have a technical element of know-how to ensure that we have this. We call it a toolbox <laughs> in the platform. And the idea is that you will have also either the provision of technology or you will know who owns this technology so that you can actually get in touch with them and start converting your material into something much more valuable. So at this point, then you, you need companies on both sides. You need the people yes. with the side stream, but also the those that have the capacity to do something with it. And indeed, indeed. Inherently in the project, we had more companies that had a waste stream that they would like to do something with it rather than an end user, as we say. But I'm pretty sure that there is much more into it because if you remember from the beginning, this was only within the boundaries of those uh, 13 partners. But now that we have completed that way and we can open it to the public, I'm pretty sure there will be much more different stakeholders willing to get involved, at least to understand what this is all about. Where they will register and they will go fully on board with the digital platform is another case. Uh, I guess it's part of the strategic priority of within each company. But it's also an opportunity for maybe startup companies to look at some of these side streams and be able to say, well, we don't do that, but we can maybe try and do something with it. Indeed, indeed. I think it, I think it will highlight needs for sure. And that will be possibility for new companies to get involved and uh, be active in the field. I am aware that there are quite a few SME companies that are acting as intermediate stakeholders in these processes. So for them, it might be also an enlightening opportunity to see where the trend is and what sort of components 
components they would start they should start looking for because that is probably I mean the sector is very dynamic so we know that the things were as they were but probably you can appreciate the fact that there's probably a bit more interest in plant-based proteins for instance and that will probably feed in and will reflect a part of the side stream digital marketplace platform so it has a dynamic approach and I'm pretty sure that it will also highlight needs and opportunities and so where do all of the individual organizations that were working on this go from here? Incidentally, uh, we met this week and we had a big discussion about what the future holds. And it seems like m- most of the partners, uh, they would like to be involved one way or another for the uh, long-term run. Uh, so I'm pretty sure there will be lots of interest coming in from those core partners that started the project. But it's going to be now that the platform is going to show its true potential by extending this. So yes, I mean, all the companies that were in the call at least this week, they showed that high appreciation and um, interest to pursue this further. So I think it's a start of a long-term journey uh, and not the end of just two years of a project, uh, which is very good, actually. No, it's good. It's it's not the end. It's just the beginning, I guess. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, is, there, is there anything else that you wanted to add about the project? Yeah, I need to say that I am in this project with uh, my colleague, Dr. Dimitris Halampopoulos, who is the PI for Reading. And uh, thanks to our PDRA, Tiffany Lau, who made all the hard work and made this project a success. We are in this as a team together. <laughs> If the number 13 makes you nervous, turn away now. Tetra Pak has revealed the findings from its global research study in the 13th edition of the Tetra Pak Index in partnership with market research company Ipsos. And it shows food safety is a major issue for consumers. To tell us about what consumers are thinking and what can be done is Giselle Gourgel, Tetra Pak Business Insights and Analytics Director. So could you tell me what the Tetra Pak Index is? Of course. Tetra Pak Index is an annual report which is focused on providing insights about global trends and opportunities shaping the future for the industry of food and beverage. That's what we target. Now we are in the 13th year, our 2020 edition, which looks at consumers' attitudes and tensions with food safety and sustainability. And of course, in the eyes of this uh, backdrop of the COVID-19 pandemic, Tetra Pak Index has been going through various topics. And last year, for example, we were along with uh, talking about the convergence of environment and health, which was uh, very important for creating opportunities for brands to introduce new products in the market and how they promote And most important, we came up with a segmentation of consumers that was based on their knowledge and culture on how they make their choice based on environmental concerns. The year before, we also focused on online grocery, uh, e-commerce, smart packaging, also a topic that came up very strong. Even pre-COVID, we were envisioned that consumers would go more and more focusing on shopping online and especially for groceries. So we came up with this index two years ago and it's been one of the reports inspiring most of our customers on how to make business in online channels and so on. I think uh, all the time, especially for the dairy business, we have been exploring various topics like future of dairy, uh, flavor milk. So even the previous year reports, uh, which are in our tetrapack.com website, They are quite interesting to read. 
You mentioned the pandemic already. That seems to be the main topic on everybody's lips at the moment. How did that influence the study this year? Yeah, I think that the concern of the pandemic, as I mentioned, is mostly affecting consumers' health perspective. So how they can prevent, how they can be safe, how they can keep in control of the things they can control. And that also came across in the interviews that we did, which was uh, we did interview with almost 9,000 people in nine markets. And this concern really shows us that consumers want to do an action. They want to secure and they want to be assured by the food and beverage company that what they consume will be playing a role on their health and safety. And how connected is food safety to other concerns that consumers have at the moment? Yeah, one important thing and that's interesting, when we connect this with other concerns, like something that came across very interesting is food waste, for example. And it's interesting that food waste before, uh, if you don't think about what these years is showing us, it was mostly linked to you know, poverty, lack of food, uh, lack of access to nutrition. However, when we see the results of this research, we see that food waste also become a very important action for consumers. Because especially an example in US, that has brought very, very strong because especially the, the waste at home of food. And also we saw that a lot of consumers were stockpiling food and buying foods in bulk. And that made some food even missing for other consumers. So along with the community, I think more than three quarters of consumers, so we mean 77% now see food waste as a big concern. And they are even limiting seeing as one of the top three priorities for manufacturers because consumers, they do recognize that manufacturers should play an important role to avoid food waste and also including the food safety role during production, crops, all the supply chain management. Another area that's important and that's mentioned in the index is sustainability. I guess everything's interconnected, but how does that tie in with the other aspects that you studied? Yeah, definitely sustainability remain at the top of the list. Uh, Of course, it was overshadowed by the COVID concern when COVID has brought food safety at the top of the list together with sustainability. For example, last year, food safety was about 30% uh, of the consumer's concern. Now it's 40%. And then sustainability remained the second most important issue to society. So consumers does acknowledge that if we don't do actions uh, that is across and food and packet food is pretty much linked to their actions, we can reach an environmental disaster. So it doesn't mean that by having a biggest focus on food safety and food waste that sustainability is not important anymore. So by the opposite, it continues at the top of the agenda. And that's why we said this is the dilemma now, because now we have a dual focus of uh, key concerns on society, because society is really, they want to protect their families, they want to be safe, and food safety is in front of mind right now. One example, like in China, 90% of population really believe that the world is reaching a high watermark of concerns about food safety. 
And especially in emerging countries like China, Nigeria, food safety is a big, big concern because the access to food and the manufacturing industry controls that they have in those societies. Uh, so this is a real threat. But then you come back to the role of packaging to protect the food, but also how you can secure that this package has good destiny and is not all those companies are not going to affect environment. And why? I think by 2050, we have to increase the availability of food by 70% from what we have today, because we're going to reach almost more than 9 billion people in the world. So this is a big concern and responsibility that all the manufacturer sector and packaging sector deliver solutions that are sustainable. So that's how we connect the food safety, food waste and sustainability. I guess sometimes there are issues whereby when it comes to solving one problem, you create others. Are there any conflicts when it comes to looking at safety, the environment, sustainability, food waste and health? Yes, and that is pretty much linked to the responsibility of the industries. And I believe that consumers, they truly believe that the industry is responsible in this way. So we say that consumers, they really matter. And when we ask this question, what the food they buy and why they buy, the top of mind, the reasons why to choose a brand, a product is linked to the brand behind and all the communication that this company is doing. Consumers are more and more informed, as we always said. So we know that 71% of consumers, they say that the number one thing they value in a package is that the package should play the role of protecting the food. But also 70% says they should ensure the product is well protected. And they also recognize, uh, they rethink the priorities, and especially after COVID, that is pretty much linked to this um, safety. But also we need to solve a growing dilemma of environment through not harming the, the consumers uh, with a lot of overpackage. So I think to shape a new responsible package solutions uh, that protects what is good is a big responsibility that us, for example, at Tetra Pak, we have. And that's uh, one of the key guides for us in terms of innovation. And what is Tetra Pak doing to address some of these issues? Yeah, so what we, we try to do is really to meet the human need uh, with the, the need of protection and, of course, with the responsibility of our ecosystem. Where we can see that we play a big role is about the harmony that we create across all these three areas. So we, th we create a journey. So that's the journey Tetra Pak is doing to provide sustainable food package. And that's our core expertise. I don't know if you know the story of Tetra Pak since the 60s, where Huberhausen developed start promoting products to go to different countries. And one of the first countries was Africa in Kenya. And just before this call, I was talking to our colleagues in Kenya. And this product, this solution of ambient solution packages enabled these countries to have affordable and safe access to nutrition. So that has been in our essence since the foundation of this company. So, and now we are more and more focusing on providing packets and developing packets material that is responsibly sourced, 
renewable or recy with recycled materials. So it's fully, that's our mandate, is to reach a fully recyclable and carbon neutral package, allowing the ambient distribution, of course, and of course, meeting food safety requirements. We cannot get rid of any requirements and that we, we need to secure safety, but at the same time, exploring better alternatives to reach our goals towards the planet. And I guess communication of this to manufacturers and also to consumers is very important. We've been working a lot on communication most recently uh, to promote to the food industry, but also we need uh, the food industry, food and beverage industry, to also leverage on some of these benefits to secure that consumers get to know and understand the benefits of their products and the package that they have choice. For example, 70% of consumers, they say that a package is made of plant-based materials. They want seeing this green, uh, you know, sense in the package material. Also, more consumers, they are stating that carton package helps to protect the world's forest because it's coming from renewable forest. Uh, so this is uh, something that we've been working for a long time now, and I'm happy that consumers acknowledge this benefit. Consumers also seeing using sustainable package as a top priorities for the company. So they do believe that companies has this responsibility to make the right choices. And then, of course, they can access indirectly the right products in the right package. Another thing that also consumers, eight in 10 consumers that we asked, they believe that the companies are obliged to help recycling and the reuse of the package they produce. So there is this transfer of responsibility that we need to communicate and educate consumers what is the destiny of the package that they are utilizing for the products. So we have been asking uh, from a selected list of uh, future packaging innovation and the number one choice is protecting food for longer to avoid waste and maintain nutritional value. So, and that's all about the ambient technology that we have and which is selected by 70% of consumers. So it does have a, a strong benefit and we see that consumers also do not want to have over packaging or packets that are not recyclable. So this is quite important as a consumer choice to influence consumer's choice. And that's why the food industry, what we show in this report, in our research shows that industry has this responsibility to be transparent, to communicate to consumers and to use of technologies and materials that can enable them to do a better communication and connection with their consumers because that's their need. They already acknowledge those features and that's very important to recognize. In the report, there's mention from Yale University of how much change is necessary. I wonder, do we have the time and how we're actually going to make all of that progress given the challenges that there are? Yeah, that's about the dilemma that we raised in this report. It was very interesting when we were producing and analyzing all the information that we got together and to really say how we can wait, what is more important between food safety and environment. You know, as we highlight in the index is reflecting the current industry reality because we are all in this dilemma. We are all making choices. And while food packaging plays a critical role because it also impacts 
Earth's climate and we have limited resources, uh, more and more limited resources moving forward. So that is a, a very important approach that we need to acknowledge from the industry of packaging industry. And we know that the pandemic has reinforced the fact that our world needs a high performance packaging system with long shelf life. So that is, uh, I think, is taking it's a mandatory. So it because why? Why this is important? It increases the access to food and also it helps to reduce, to minimize food waste. Uh, while we can also recycle and minimize the climate impact through low carbon materials and ambient distribution. So I think during COVID, we, we learned a lot about uh, reducing carbon footprint. Also transportation, uh, limited goals to the shops, like uh, we were planning better, we were doing better choices and we saw a big impact to the climate. And in many, many cities and countries we see the nature reacting to this good uh, behavior. So it's something that we can see that we want to build a sustainable future for the next generation. And the COVID has taught us uh, some interesting areas that we can explore. And that starts with our own choices. Absolutely, all definitely very important issues. Is there anything else that you wanted to add about the index? Yes, I think that that is something that is important that I, I didn't mention, but when you ask about what we are doing and what is the industry of food and beverage can do, I think it's all about understanding how consumers, uh, where and why consumers are concerned. And in the report we show in our research, we ask it in what part of the value chain is the main concern coming up. And consumers are talking about, they're not only concerned about the provenance and how the product is produced, which is quite something important that we normally do not communicate to consumers about the raw materials or the production itself, but also how this product is stored in the retailers. They do concern a lot how is the product handled in the retailers, if the product or the package is not damaged, and also the sourcing of all these products that they are consuming. So at Tetra Pak, we've been developing all this end-to-end food traceability from the raw material intake throughout the production and distribution process. For example, we've been using QR codes and our factories, they are adding QR codes to the package or to the tap. And this is enabling this traceability. And moving forward, I think also with the COVID, we learned a lot about digital access, technology, how important consumers are looking at information. And we learned that expiring date is vital, is a vital sign of food safety. So if I could advise any of our customers, uh, we say that 67% of consumers are thinking that product may be unsafe if it's the date has passed. So we need to secure that consumers know how to read the expiring date. They are aware about when the product will expire to avoid buying or throwing away a package that they are storing when they overbuy, for example, at home. So 40% of waste is happening at home. And that's a simple action that consumers can do to improve food safety is everywhere's action, right? Moreover, I think 58% see also that ensuring a packet is kept well closed after opening, it helps keep food safe. And I think Tetra Pak has promoted a lot new openings, new taps, 
and we've been working a lot on this experience to provide and promote safety to consumers. And of course, the appearance, the outside appearance, if the package is damaged, they, they say that is unsafe. 58% consumers believe that they avoid to buy a package that is damaged. So we need to secure that the consumers feel safe with the products that they want to buy. And transparency of product information. Also the origin of the product. 39% consumers, they note and they look for the origin, where is this product coming from? And they want to know also the complete content description of the product. So these are areas that we can do in a short term, start with the communication, especially Tetra Pak customers that utilize the carton package, they immediately can use these kind of features in benefit of their brands and in benefit of the products they sell. And that's it for Podcast 114 and for December. And for that matter, that's it for 2020 as well. There will be a few newsletters between now and 2021, so look out for those. And we will be back with all the news in January, assuming there is any, because the start of a new year is always challenging. We definitely didn't see the pandemic coming last year, so I may even try my own predictions on the next podcast. I mean, how wrong can I be? Very, very wrong is probably the answer. But I do already have one interview done for the first podcast next year, which will be on January the 6th, and there are a couple more in the works as well. Funnily enough, no one wants to do an interview on Christmas Day. Anyway, by January the 6th, we might have all recovered, ready to face the next lockdown, and already having shattered our New Year's resolutions. I suspect there won't be too many street parties to ring in the new year as well for 2021. But the most important thing is that wherever in the world you may be, I hope you have a wonderful holiday season and a great and healthy new year. And until next time, stay safe, take care, and as always, thanks for listening. 